Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's September 23rd, 1656, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. The Japanese entrepreneur Fusajiro Yamauchi would surely have been delighted to know that decades after his death, the company that he founded on this day in 1889 would be a massive multinational and a household name around the world. But he might have been a bit surprised to learn that his former playing card company was now most famous for peddling the electronic travails of an Italian plumber who likes to rescue princesses from the clutches of an oversized monkey and a turtle shell clad dinosaur. (laughs) It is just wild to think that there is almost a century between Nintendo the company being formed in 1889 and them distributing the Game and Watch and Donkey Kong. I mean if you asked anyone in the street when was Nintendo formed everyone would guess. 1980s. Yeah so of course as you mentioned Arian it was of course not founded to sell video game consoles this was only 20 years into the Meiji era as well which was when Japan reversed this centuries old policy of isolationism feudalism was only just giving way to modern capitalism so companies as we know them were really quite a new thing so this was one of the first generation of what we would recognise as a company and it happened to be Nintendo and yeah Yamauchi he started off selling playing cards, which had been brought to Japan via Portuguese merchants and missionaries in the 16th century. They were one of a handful of foreigners who were actually allowed to enter Japan during these centuries of time when it was kind of a closed kingdom. And as you can imagine, they were widely associated with gambling and they were cracked down on by the authorities several times, which meant that the artwork of Japanese decks of cards became increasingly elaborate and abstract so that you could plausibly say that they weren't playing cards at all. They're just very small pieces of artwork that I keep in a little pile. (laughs) And and trade with my friends. Yeah, so this is the tradition of Hanafuda cards in Japan, which are like hand-painted on mulberry bark, Instead of having the suits and numbers that you'd recognise from Western cards, they replaced the numbers with the 12 seasons of the year. So initially, this was a way in the, as you were saying, 16th and 17th century for people to evade the ban on cards. But by this point in 1889, the ban had been lifted, um, but the tradition had taken off. So Japanese people actually preferred playing Hanafuda cards than the original Western cards that the Portuguese had brought over in the 16th century. There's a hypothesis about what the name Nintendo actually means, because it's often translated to mean leave luck of heaven, which already doesn't sound uh, like it's been translated terribly well, but there you go. But actually, I saw a really interesting article in Kotaku that suggested that at least the ten part of Nintendo's name might actually be short for Tengu, and Tengu is a Japanese demon and a symbol of playing cards and illegal gambling in Japan who has this really, really large nose. And apparently, according to the history of Nintendo, people who used to visit the pleasure quarters of Osaka and Kyoto would often rub their noses as a sign that they were looking for a gambling den. And so for card players, Ten literally meant Tengu, which meant gambling. So Nintendo, the name, had this sort of hidden meaning that this is a thing that we gamblers are into. And Yamuchi's business was very 
very successful and he passed it on to so this is like a Japanese thing that still happens if you only have a daughter or you have no children what they used to do is you would adopt your son-in-law so they would become your son and heir legally speaking so the business would remain in the family and that's what Yamauchi did he adopted his son-in-law Sekiyo Kaneda Kaneda would try to do the same thing he adopted someone who worked at the company but then he fled his family so the presidency of Nintendo ended up going to that guy's son Hiroshi who he adopted then as his grandson and he was the last president from the original family although as you can see not quite a lot of different bloodlines have actually passed under this name and he retired in 2002 and when he got the reins at Nintendo in the 1960s he was only 22 years old and he started to make some pretty big changes Mm. because you're right Rebecca it was a successful business for decades I mean they did basically make the same thing these cards for 80 years but it was waning Partly because they were such a good product that you didn't need to replace them. So it wasn't a particularly sustainable business. Like, once you got your set of Nintendo Hanafuda cards, you had them for 80 years. So they innovated at one point to specifically create a range of cheaper cards that would fall apart. (laughs) (laughs) It's an early sign that they're ready to pivot into tech, isn't it? Um, (laughs) So that they could have a secondary market and people coming back and ordering them again. But anyway it was beginning to become kind of yesterday's news and it was Hiroshi's idea to try and pivot into other industries and did you see some of the things that he tried before he settled upon toys (laughs) and video games I know (laughs) pretty extraordinary so at one point they experimented with doing Nintendo super quick rice (laughs) I like it at one point a Nintendo photocopier and perhaps the weirdest and definitely the product of a 22 year old at the helm of the company The Nintendo Love Hotel, which was actually opened this concept, which was basically like a sex motel where you'd pay by the hour. Toy making proved to be the most promising venture. However, it was difficult to crack because there were lots of established names. So they struggled for a few years. The breakthrough came in about 1966 at some point. Hiroshi was on a factory tour when he spotted this extending arm gadget. If you picture one of those sort of grabbers that Inspector Gadget might use to grab something. (laughs) Like a concertinaed plastic thing. (laughs) Yes, concertinaed plastic thing. Uh, And he spotted it and it turns out it had been made, it wasn't a product, it had been made for fun by an assembly line maintenance man called Gunpei Yokoi. Although it has to be said, he did have a degree in electronics. So he wasn't just some random janitor type guy who had just invented this on on his lunch break. That's the same as with Tamagotchi, isn't it? Do you remember in our Tamagotchi episode we were talking about that? And that was like the side hustle of someone who worked for the toy company. It wasn't their main product. Same thing. Like, you just spotted it lying around. And similarly with Lego, where the company gets sold a uh, pressing machine and the, and in the demonstration, they're showing how to make a thing that looks a lot like Lego. And they're like, hang on, maybe we can make Lego. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's better than the plastic teddies we decided right. to build. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was put into production, named the Ultra Hand, and it became a huge Christmas best-selling toy. <laughs> and Yokoi was then whisked into this exciting new life as one of their lead designers. And because he came from an electronics background he obviously showed particular aptitude for this lucrative emerging new field of electronic games yeah they shifted 1.2 million of these interconnected crisscross plastic (laughs) extendable grabby hand things which now is just like something you would absolutely get in the pound shop like just you know the the toy that like someone's grandma would get you from the market and you'd be like oh thanks you know single use toy in the bin massive hit in japan they absolutely loved it to the extent that um the ultra hand as a meme once you start spotting it i'm not nerdy enough to have known this before this research but once you start spotting it it's referenced as an easter egg in nintendo games now it's in warioware uh, and it's in mario power tennis and it's in animal crossing 
is everything in Japan just ever so slightly out of reach? Is that why this thing was such a big hit? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe people are just shorter than the architecture. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny that this was literally a plastic hand. And yet three years later, Yokoi developed the Love Tester, the arcade machine. You know, you've probably seen it. It's the one where you put, you put your hand and the hand of your beloved on one of the things on the machine. Then you hold hands and it tells you how in love you are. <laughs> and then it sells you a ticket to the Love Motel for $10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first Nintendo product to find success outside Japan, which was a really big deal. And Yokoi, oh, sweet electronics graduate Yokoi, he said the idea <laughs> came from me wondering if I could somehow use this to get girls to hold my hand. Oh, that's really sad. <laughs> probably, probably inventing the Game Boy later gave yeah. him enough access to women, I should imagine. <laughs> but it was actually the Magnavos Odyssey, which was one of the very first commercial home video game consoles in the world. And in the 1970s, they just looked at it and went, actually, we want in on that action. And so they started to produce first arcade games like Donkey Kong and Radar Scope in the early 80s. But they'd been experimenting with home consoles. They released this thing called the Color TV Game 6 in 1977, which was this bright orange system that did nothing other than play Pong Pong. Yeah, it had six games. And you think, oh, wow, six games. But when you look further yeah. into it, they were basically all yeah. variations on Pong. Yeah. Pong with two balls. Pong with three balls. <laughs> but then they had this other one called the Color TV Game 15 in 1978. They need to sort out the numbering system on these. They really yeah. do. But this was them closing in on what then became their big hit, which was the NES in the 1980s. And Nintendo were able to take advantage of this huge video game maker crash in the US. In the mid-80s, basically what happened is that everyone was saying, oh my God, video games are the new thing. Let's just make as many of them as possible, as quickly as possible. A lot of them were really rubbish and a lot of the companies ended up tanking. So the stage was set then for Nintendo and Sega, which is also a Japanese company, to sweep in with high quality games. And they wanted to avoid the mistakes that the US companies had made. So in 1986, when the console was released in the US, third party developers were limited to releasing five games for the machine per year because they really wanted to avoid that oversaturating the market with rubbish and turning off consumers. But isn't it interesting that they didn't trade on any of their heritage in the US? So they created Nintendo of America as a separate, wholly owned subsidiary company, but they didn't go around telling everyone, by the way, we've been making playing cards since 1889. And there's a reason, which is... In Japan, it had kind of become synonymous with Yakuza gangsters mm. because of the playing cards. Yeah. Um, so the Yakuza used them for betting. That was their favourite brand of card, the Nintendo card. And in fact, the name Yakuza actually comes from the numbers Yakuza, 8, 9 and 3, which is a zero score in a card game known as Oichu Kabu, which you play with Nintendo playing cards. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? If people in America knew, <laughs> they'd never be able to pivot to being a toy company. But they were presented as a completely new organization. And so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.